Hey, hey, welcome to the Phil Drysdale Show. This episode, we have Josh Meadows from Neighborhood Hope, and he is working within communities that largely don't have fathers. He grew up himself without a father, and he is helping those that don't have um, a healthy male role model, which is um, actually remarkably attached to all kinds of different um, negative metrics, you know, uh, likelihood of incarceration, likelihood not to finish um, high school, all kinds of different um, things. And so it's a really uh, great pleasure to be able to have a chat with him and I'm looking forward to it. So let's get cracking. Josh, it's great to have you on the show. Um, I'm really excited to get to know you. I know very, very little about you. Um, Just, I think a couple of people that were following me were like, you should interview this guy. He's great. What he's doing is great. And so why don't you tell me a little bit about who you are and what you're doing, and then we can kind of unpack from there where we go. Yeah, for for sure. So my name is Josh Meadows, and um, I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, And we'll we'll go into some background stuff, but currently I'm um, the executive director of a nonprofit um, previously called the Abandoned Project, but now we changing our name to Neighborhood Hope. So I've been okay. working in what we call like low-income forgotten communities for the past eight years. So um, a lot of the kids and the, the families that we get a chance to like do life with are African-American and um, in the city of Charlotte right now, we're the, we're the worst city in the nation that if you start in what, the, you know, what they deem as poverty, people don't get out. So- wow. okay. um, so yeah, we're we're trying to go in and just become family and create a sense of oneness with these people, earn the trust, and then you know be a bridge to resources. And um, you know, particularly I, I grew up single mother. You know, my dad okay. left when I was seven, so a lot of these kids are in the same situation. Like fathers aren't around. So my 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 goal was just like I tell people that God took my pain and created beauty out of it, mm. gave me a calling out of my pain, and so that's why I do what I do. So I love it, man. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's intense. I have to say, you know, so I lived in um, California for four years because um, right. I'm in Europe. Uh, and I have mm-hmm. to say, having traveled all over the world and experienced a lot of different cultures, right. I think if not the worst, certainly up there in the top two or three worst places in the world for extreme poverty I've seen, America falls yeah. into the remit. I, I've yeah. never seen people being allowed to fall through the cracks and, and get to such dire straits. And I was in California as well. I know right. they're probably pretty up there in the, in the right. general populace of America as far yeah. as states that kind of really try and take care of the, the poor. Right. Um, and I still was like, I cannot believe things that I'm seeing here. I, I just couldn't fathom it. Yeah. And I know we're from Europe and we've got all sorts of different programs and a different right. ethos on how, how to take care of that. And yeah putting the politics aside, I have to say like that, that shocked me to the core. And so I'm trying to like, in my mind, take that, which I've seen, which I've mm-hmm. traveled a lot throughout America, um, right. but I've probably seen nothing like this uh, yeah. in, in my mind. You're talking about um, a level of poverty that is almost inescapable for the vast majority of people as right. well. It sounds like that there isn't yeah. that upwards kind of like direction. Yeah, no, yeah nobody's the ladder out. Right, right. It, yeah, there's a, there's a big gap between the the people at the top and the people at the bottom mm. and uh i think that in order to go to the people at the bottom and and help you know usher them out of that it's it's real messy and what we yeah. find is people at the top don't want to enter into the mess don't really care about it so there's this big disparity of of you know bridging that gap and so our our hope is to go down and kind of crawl in this mess with them and love them back to back to life because if you think about that statistic so only 4% of people who start in poverty ever get out. So 4%, that's not even one out of 10. 
So what that means is that people's story and narrative is being written based upon the family and the place that they're born into, which that's, that's terrible, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So it kind of burns like a fire in me. I'm like, man, so I want to do something about it, you know, obviously as much as much as I can and get a bunch of people around us to help us. But yeah, man, it's, it's pretty awful. And and it's, you know, I'm, I'm like you, I've been, I haven't, I'm sure I haven't traveled as much as you, but I've been to, you know, Central America like 11 times. Mm. I've been to Africa. Um, I feel like poverty, you know, it depends on like how you describe it. As far as like material poverty, you know, I don't think of America as being bad as far as material poverty. Mm. I think it's like more You'll still see a TV in those rooms or they'll sell maybe a smartphone or something. Yeah, some nice shoes on their feet, you know, and they have clothes and stuff. But it's more of like, the ability to get out of poverty. Yeah. I think that's what America struggles with is, yeah. is the, the ability or the work ethic to get out of poverty. And, mm. you know, whereas if you go to other countries, they might be poor, but everybody in the family has work ethic for the most part, you know, sure. they're, they're yeah. you know, planting their own crops and they're, you know, doing what they are going to the market and selling vegetables or whatever, just to take care of themselves. Yeah. Whereas here, you know, for some reason, you know, I'm not, really big into politics to be honest it just pisses me off so i'm just like whatever (laughs) i'm just gonna go be the change you know so i think um people here are allowed to be on poverty it's like they are enabled to be on poverty and that's what that Mm. what make that's what makes us poorer so to say in other countries you know it's it's fascinating to me because one of the things that stood out to me about america that honestly i think is an incredibly beautiful thing is Mm. the core thing running through all of society it's just hammered into you guys when you're young and that is you're amazing you can make whatever you want of the world you can become an incredible awesome great person which to be honest with you that's not the narrative you particularly grew up with in europe i mean we, we, we have some of that but generally speaking in europe it's like dude don't stick your head up above the parapets or we're gonna cut it off yeah. <laughs> right. um, and, and that's not entirely true we still love our celebrities and different things right. like that as well as much as we crucify them you know right. there's a whole mix in there yeah. but it feels in America, there is this thing of like, you teach your kids, look, you can become anything you want to be. You can become right. a great person. You can become the next big basketball player. You can right. become the next Bill Gates. You can become the next, you know, Barack Obama or President Trump or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. But I think what to me stood out was the disconnect behind that narrative. So the right. narrative is there of you can be anything. Right. But actually, very few places have I seen systems in place that make sure that isn't true for the vast majority of people. Right. So you do see things that are very systemic, like the rich get richer, the, mm-hmm. the educated continue to be educated, right. whatever. The, the fatherless continue to be fatherless. The yeah. poor continue to be poor. Uh, there's these cycles, uh, there's these things in place, you know, that, that yeah. um, don't seem to be able to facilitate that that drive of the of the american heartbeat which i think is a right. beautiful thing yeah um, you know the pursuit of happiness the pursuit right. of all these amazing things yeah and yet it's really tough to break out those systemic issues like you're talking about like, yeah it's just crazy to me that that, that percentage four yeah. percent i'm just like god that's yeah. like you said less than one in ten that's less than one in 20 i think right I mean, 20 would be five percent wouldn't it so right I mean, it's right just, it's just such a small and i can't imagine growing up in that and you know you are hearing on the tv you're you're seeing in the ads on on commercials you're seeing all over the internet everything like Like you can become anything you want you can rise up to greatness but you you know you look Mm -hmm. around you and go yeah 19 out of 20 of us don't know right that's gotta beat you down that's gotta really it's tough 
Well, and, and then a lot of times if you look at patterns, right, people follow the money. And so like, particularly in the African-American culture, where is the money? It's with athletes. It's with, it's with mm. uh, mu- the music industry and particularly like rappers. And so a lot of kids, it's like, those are my two options. If I want to get rich, it's like, right. you know, be a basketball player, a football player, or, you know, be a rapper. And, you know, I was an athlete growing up and some of these kids, I'm like, mm, you, you real quick. Like, I'm not yeah. trying to destroy your dreams. Yeah. You know, and then, but you're not. The odds are much worse than one yeah, in 20 to become yeah, the next Michael yeah, Jordan. Sure. Or, you know, like, it's just yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like you get, you can barely make your middle school team and I'm not, you know, or, or you're not even making your middle school team. So there's got to be a point of, you know, so I want the kids to be able to see like, you know, I do some like real estate stuff on the side or whatever. Mm. And I tell him a story. I'm like, yeah, guys, like we wrote a plumber a check for $10,000 one time. Like a plumber can wear a nice chain and work hard, yeah. you know? So maybe, maybe you ought to learn plumbing, you know, be an electrician. Yeah. But I think, I think the biggest thing is like, you know, it was funny, man. I opened a book last night and it was like, everybody wants to dream, but very few people know the work that are, are they're willing to put the work in to get to the yeah. dream. And that's what I see. It's like, I don't even see kids saying, I want to be a basketball player or a rapper and I don't even see them writing lyrics or practicing. It's just like, this is what I'm going to be. Mm. Oh, cool. How are you going to get there? Cause you're not, you know, you're not an athlete. I don't see you practicing like, you know? Yeah. So it's just kind of like, it's just like a myth, you know? Mm. Yeah. So, uh, so trying to gently like without crushing them, like walk them off that ledge is, uh, is something that's, uh, you know, have to be done carefully, but we got to do it. So, yeah, absolutely. So yeah. we talked uh, right at the beginning, you kind of mentioned, you know, there's this huge gap in society, you know, like the myth of the middle class almost kind of starting to disappear as well. Right. Even, um, you know, but there's this big gap. And generally speaking, people at the top don't, we don't, we don't see it. We don't right. think about it. We're, we're comfortable as well. We're busy, yeah. you know, but people are busy. They've got their families yeah. and their business and stuff yeah. like that. They're not, For you know, sure. they're, they're like, wait, you want me to volunteer 10 hours a week to, you know, help yeah. in a city? Oh man, dude, I don't even know. I don't have time for my family and my wife. Yeah. Or, you know, so pe- right. people are just kind of like disconnected from it. Where, where, where did you come into seeing this kind of world and, and wanting to impact this world? Did, did you know, I know you said you grew up a bit in a, in a, in a less, uh, in, positive right. environment or, or beneficial environment were you always kind of aware of this world and 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 you've come up from within I, it and want to help or is it more yeah. that you kind of stumbled across it yeah so i kind of um so i grew up in Asheville, north carolina which is like this mountainous town very beautiful place mm-hmm. um, very eclectic and even though you know my father moved to chicago when i was seven so my mother raised me but i was kind of like it takes a village to raise a child type of kid. Like okay. my grand, my grandparents lived next to me. Um, my coaches used to come pick me up for every practice. I had good, you know, God put good mentors in my life. And so even though I had, I didn't have my dad there every day, which, which did, you know, essentially like cause issues and problems and was tough. Um, I think I had a good support system. And so really, if you take my support system, you know, going up in a single family, in a majority mm. white town, um, and you and you compare it to the support system that these kids have, like it's it's still night and day different. Still, like I can't yeah. actually put myself in the same category other than my dad wasn't present in my sure. life either. Yeah. So that obviously gives me some rapport with the kids. But how I kind of stumbled upon it was I was in Charlotte. I, I moved to Charlotte in 2007. I was an insurance agent for 10 years and I was uh, kind of traveling as an evangelist a little bit. So I was traveling and speaking okay. to like youth camps and kids and everything like that. Uh, I was a volunteer youth pastor at this church 
And then kind of the, the whole church thing went sideways a little bit. Like my, myself and my mentor kind of had this like falling out. And so I was stuck in the city. Like, well, what do I do? You know, I was trying mm. to figure out like what my calling was. I felt like, you know, my previous mentor kind of wanted me to be like him. And I was like, you know, I don't, you know, you're you, but I want to, I want to figure out what I'm created to do. And so that kind of set me out on this journey. And um, yeah, I went up to San Francisco a couple of times and volunteered with this ministry called uh, San Francisco City Impact. Uh, Francis Chan was really involved there at one point. Okay, yeah. Kind of like their whole premise was adopting these neighbor, neighbor these uh, apartment buildings and sending people in to just like really love these people. And that didn't really apply to Charlotte because we're not the same like uh, geographic, like, like in San Francisco, all the buildings are right So there. different, right? Yeah. And in Charlotte, everything's kind of spread out. Yeah. And um, so one of my clients had called one day and was like, hey, um, you know, I'm God, there's a church, this old church on the east side of town, all these kind of neighborhood kids come, would you come speak to the kids? So I showed up, it was on a Wednesday, um, and I, you know, speaking to the kids and kind of fighting for their attention. And, you know, I told them a little bit about my story and I was like, hey, like how many of you guys have your dad at home? And out of like 45 kids, like two kids put their hand up. Wow. And one of those kids came up to me and was like, well, it's not really my dad. It's my mom's boyfriend. I call him my stepdad. So like none of the kids had dads. And I was like, I felt this immediate like kind of connection. Like, dude, like these kids are like you, you know, at the time, like mm. I was like, they're kind of like me. So uh, th- that night I was in the parking lot, you know, walking to my car and a girl and a guy got in a fist fight. Like literally, wow. I'm not making this up. So this this guy punched this girl and she hit him with a scooter. It was just like, I was just like, what, you know, what the hell is this? Like, you know, yeah. this, this doesn't happen in like middle class white suburbia right. church parking lot, generally exactly. speaking. Exactly. <laughs> Leaving the meeting and someone's yeah. like clubbing someone with a scooter, you know? I know. <laughs> I know. So it was just like my first reaction was I mean, I kind of tried to to break it up, which you know, now I know not to do, but um but, I, you know, I just was like, well, this is crazy. I don't, I don't see myself coming back. But, like, I kept coming back to that Wednesday night right. program. Well, within, like, a month, the lady that was running it, who's now on staff with us, she was, like, very pregnant at the time. And, okay. you know, there was, like, 50 kids. And I think looking back, we had, like, six or seven, you know, future felons in the group. So, I mean, it wasn't an wow. easy group. And so um, because she was pregnant, like the church was like, well, nobody's really helping you. Let's just cancel the program. So they were going to cancel the program. So now these neighborhood kids wouldn't really have anything. And so I um, had never met the pastor before in my life. And I just showed up the next day and was like, hey, um, I was at that program last week. Uh, Would you mind if I take it over? Like just bold, you know? Yeah. And um, he 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 was kind of like, yeah, I'll, I'll let you do it. Just kind of under our watch or whatever. Well, there, there was no, there was no watch really. They, they okay. kind of were more of an elderly congregation doing the best they could and, and had a heart for the neighborhood, but just really didn't, you know, produce a lot of volunteers. And so I just kind of took it and ran with it. And so wow. um, at, at the time I was living in a pretty nice part of town. I had like a little code you had to hit to get in my condo and all this stuff. Well, before you know it, like my wife, Jenny and I, we're, we're about to, to celebrate five years of marriage, but at the time we weren't even married yet. And, uh, we, um, I was like, Hey, look, if, you know, as, as I got to know the kids more, I, I think, you know, I began to get my phone number out and they began to call me. I'd be going, you know, begin to mm, take them to get, uh, yeah, haircuts and school supplies and go to, go to games. And, but I ended up finding a little house to rent in the neighborhood where, where the kids near where the kids lived. Um, because they're low-income housing, I couldn't physically move them. They wouldn't let me, I guess, because I made too much money. But 
I found a house down the road. And so now all of a sudden I have a low income apartment complex in my backyard across the street, one down the road. So I, I moved in and that's kind of what really set me on my journey. Cause I began to understand like culture, like why do these cycles exist? Why, why aren't dads around? Why, mm. you know, why, why do the kids handle conflict the way they do? And so I began to learn the culture, which I think was the best thing I could have ever done was just to, to come close, you know, to the kids. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that was kind of crazy because like we got, you know, not a, not a big deal. It wasn't the worst neighborhood in Charlotte, like by any means, but like we got our house broken into and my neighbor guy across the street was, we had two houses on the street that were bad, both across from my house. Mm. One was a drug dealer, one was a meth lab. So then the meth lab got busted up and the drug dealer got shot in his front yard. And so it was just like, yeah, everybody's like, you should leave. And we're like, oh, we're actually safer now. Like, you know, we just, yeah, yeah. Just we were stayed, safer before you know? we had this experience. Yeah, uh, exactly. More we that, yeah. <laughs> right, for sure. So, wow. yeah. So, you know, just kind of moving in and coming close. So, yeah. Man, that, that sounds intense. You know, like um, I'm thinking of times in my life where I've been ripped out of a certain bubble that I've had, gone into a different world and just experienced yeah. it. I just think of like just moving to America and going, oh, you guys think differently, you act differently, you you just have a different worldview. And I'm now looking at the world from a totally different angle. And it does look different. And there is different dynamics going on at play. Whereas when you're just watching it from afar, you can kind of, you have this offset and and maybe perspective does give you a certain lens that goes, Oh, I can see things differently than you in a positive way right. but i think there's an element of going in to a situation which you suddenly go oh god wow i did not know I ju- you, yeah. you just realize that you're very right. um unaware of the unaware. realities of things right. so what what were some of the what were some of the ways that that impacted you like i, I can imagine going from your bubble into the into this brand new bubble um yeah. it kind of messed with your head a bit maybe changed some of your preconceived notions things like that would yeah, that be fair to sure. say yeah absolutely um so I guess like a little background was, you know, I I was an athlete, so I played college football Mm -hmm. and a lot of my friends were African-American. I went to a little small school called Marceau College. We had like one stoplight, one gas station, and I think like a Hardee's, like it was terrible. So we (laughs) spent time with each other as a way to enjoy past it. So we were rich in relationships, but we didn't have anything around us. Sure. And so the, the guys that I ended up kind of moving toward were, these, you know, uh, we, we obviously had white, black, Hispanic, all on the football team, but I was just really close with these guys who were African-American. We, they were fun. Like we had a good time. We were cutting mm-hmm. up all the time, messing with each other and we had a good time. And so I got to know them really good. And so I thought like, oh yeah, I, I, I know about, you know, the African-American culture, man, I knew nothing until mm-hmm. I moved into the community and began to really like, you know, I, I just, I knew nothing. And so now I got a chance as I, as I moved into the community, I, I, you know, I began to go in these houses and meet the moms and meet the grandparents. And even every once in a while, like we had a couple single dads, I would get a chance to meet and just begin to see the, the dynamic, like how they talk to each other, like how they handled disagreements, you know, how they, when they, when they got mad, how they reacted, like all these different mm. things. And I began to, to see that, like, you know, it's, it's a lot of times, you 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 behave based upon what you see mm. you know it's like how your mom talks to you will be how you talk to other kids at school and how your mom talks to you is probably how her mom talked to her and so mm. so like what happens is you know one thing we know is consistent is that 
the, the guys aren't around period. You know, wow. the fathers aren't around. Like they, there's not like a high sense of worth for women. Um, there's not a lot of dads sticking around. So we know like kind of what the common thread is in all, all of this, like the cycles in the, I think it, I think it is fatherlessness. Mm. Um, but I think also, yeah, just, just really seeing the interactions and everything. And, and so you start to understand, it gives you like a sense of like, uh, empathy and compassion. You're like, well, I can't really get mad at this kid for cussing this other kid out when he sees it at home. You know, it's mm. like, it's like you get in there more. And then as you start to get to know the families, you begin to empathize with them of like, well, I can't really get mad at the mom because, you know, she's doing the best she can, like with five kids in a two bedroom apartment, you know? And yeah. so, yeah. yeah, I think, I think the the best thing about coming close to people and, and kind of doing life with them is you begin to kind of have like a seat of empathy. Like I, I can sit mm-hmm. in the seat and have compassion on this person, you know, as I hear their story and really understand why they are the way they are, you know? Yeah. So yeah. did it cause you to question, um, in some ways why you are the way you are as well and, and maybe start to realize some of the the privileges that you've been afforded you know you, you're saying they're like well I'm, I've got something this common thread of like oh I like you we don't have a dad yeah. and then you're like right. oh dang I am not like you you yeah. have had it way harder than me in a lot right. of ways right yeah um, did that cause you to kind of do a bit of soul searching in inwardly yeah. you know like in, in yeah, for sure it, it made yeah. me think about like it made me think about the I guess the the blessings or the privileges that I had growing up that, you know, even though I don't have a dad, my, my grandfather lived next door and he taught me how to work. So he mm. taught me how to mow grass. We, he would raise tobacco and raise different, you know, potatoes and strawberries and whatever. So they, they taught me how to work. And so even though, you know, my father wasn't there, I had a grandfather who taught me what a father would have taught me or should have mm. taught me. So I had these different elements come in, you know, I had a, I had a, a guy when I was in seventh grade named Aaron, um, his daughter was on the cheerleading team. She was a year older than me, but I went to church with, with them. And he just began taking me to play golf and taking me on vacations with him. And so, so like there was different things that, that I was afforded. Um, like I'll give you an example. When I graduated college, Aaron made a call for me and I got a job. Like I had, I still had people advocating on my behalf. Yeah where in these communities, like nobody's advocating on, on their behalf, you know, like nobody's making a call. I mean, you know, for them to, to get them a job or help them through school. I mean, so I, you know, so yeah, it it did make me begin to think about, um, it kind of helped me stop playing the, well, my dad wasn't there card. It's like, well, Mm. he wasn't, you know, and, and yeah, that hurts. And and I'm still kind of working through that. I always will. But it's not a, it's not an excuse for me to, you know, um, to blame him for stuff that I do, you know, in, in a certain extent. Sure. So I think I think it really, you know. Yeah, it just helped me realize that, like, some of the things that I've been given, how do I form those in these kids? Like, how do I go mm-hmm. get mentors for these kids? How do I teach them work ethic? You know, yep. Um, we came up with a, with a system of five things that, that we try to do in all of our programs, um, that we feel like if we, if we teach these five things and we get the kids to practice these five things, we can help them get out of poverty, tell a better story, live a better narrative. And so in all of our programs, it's like, okay, a we, we want to talk about receiving like the love of God, which we know, you know, we believe is Jesus, right? So we want to receive the love of God. Cause if you don't have love, you can't give it away, you know? Mm-hmm. So we talk about receiving the love of God. 
Um, then two is, you know, once you, once you have the love of God, you can love yourself. How do we love ourselves? How do we value ourselves? Once we value ourselves, how do we love our neighbor? You know, how do we begin loving other people? So like, okay, God loves me and my mess. And I'm going to love myself and my mess. And now I'm going to love others in their mess. So how do I begin to love others? And then the two practical things were like um, work ethic and financial literacy. And so those mm. are kind of the five things that we try to, you know, push out in all of our programs uh, consistently. Sure. Yeah. Right. That's awesome. So, you know, you're talking about God there and, and that being a very key component to all of this. Did, um, did you experience any shifts in your kind of theological perspectives through this journey, through this, you know, um, it's often said that it's generally um, experiences of great suffering, travail, hardship that push us in our, in our theological journeys, in our understandings yeah. of God and our questions and our doubts. Um, and I can imagine that um, suffering is maybe not the quite the right words, but a time where there were a lot more suddenly external pressures, you were going, Oh Jesus, the guy across the road just got shot, you know? Yeah. Oh man. And it's cause he's running a meth lab, you know, like right. that, that's that stuff yeah. that kind of pushes you at your beliefs and your, your, your comforts. Um, yeah. did you find yourself, um, shifting in, in the way that you saw things like that? Like God, Jesus, yourself, you know, your, your neighbor. Yeah, for sure. I think, I think it's one thing, you know, one of my favorite, I think, chapters in um, the Bible is like Isaiah 58, you know, where it's talking about like, you know, what a true fast is. And it's like, oh, mm. we're going to go without food. You know, it's like, no, it's bigger than that. It's it's really like, you know, fighting for people who can't fight for themselves. It's giving the shirt off your back. It's, it's you know, loosening chains of injustice. It's, you know, mm. and so and it says like when you when you do this, that God will begin to bring healing to you. You know, it says when you do this, that like he's got your back, he's got your like. So like this light breaks forth in us as we go out and we, you know, fight for those who, you know, because we I guess technically we're the hands and feet of Jesus. So like I feel like a lot of times Christians are like, oh, like, well, you know, God bless you. I'll pray for you. I'll, well, like, you know, yeah, we're, we're, we got to be that answer to prayer. We got to be the hands and feet. And so Jesus mm. going out is, is me going out. You know, it's carrying that light and blessing people. So I think that there definitely is, you know, a big shift. And I, and I think when you, it's easy to judge people when you're not close, you know, it's easy. I, th I think the church a lot of times is like, you know, especially growing up and we can get into that in a little bit, but just mm. even growing up in a fundamental environment, in Asheville, North Carolina, where there's like, you know, conservative Christians and gay people like, you know, and there's like all this, you know, different and so there's all this clashing going on. So as a little kid trying to navigate that on my own. But I, I think as you get like really close to people and you begin to hear their stories and see kind of why they are the way they are, like it does change you from the sense of like, you know, it makes it really hard to, to be a person of judgment, you know? Mm. I mean, I, I say that and I'm sure there's ways I'm still judgmental, but yeah, of course. I mean, we all yeah, are the person that says I'm not judgmental, like you're, you know, yeah, you are. So I think, um, yeah, I mean, it changed the way, cause, uh, I'll give you an example. Like, I think, what is it, you know, it's, it's Romans one where there's like this, you know, kind of this whole chapter of like, you know, you read it and you go like, Oh my God, I'm the terrible person that like, you know, is being talked about here in Romans one, you know, and you get to the bottom of it and it's like, now you who call yourself Christians, like, don't judge them because when you judge, so it, 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 I think as I begin to serve people and, you know, walk in empathy and get close to them and have compassion for them, you know, I realized that like, 
like sometimes God was, or Jesus was the hardest on people who were just sitting back judging mm. versus, versus the ones who were truly broken and messy and trying to figure it out, you know? Yeah. So I think, yeah. I think there's a natural shift, you know, when you, when you begin to fight for broken people, you know, and, and, and get, and get messy, you're just reminded of like, okay, Josh, you're, you're, you're messy, you know, mm-hmm. you're very messy. I love you. These people are very messy and I love them. So you need to love them. And so it's just kind of like, yeah, it, it, um, it helps, man. It just puts you in a better place for sure. Sure. That sounds great. Um, I think <laughs> the world needs a lot more of that. Right. I mean, yeah. we talk about this all the time on, on this podcast and all sorts of different right. avenues, but like the, the yeah. concept of Jesus going, Hey, look at that person that you don't think much of that's God. Right. Right. I mean, that's what he literally said. He says, you go love that person. You're loving God. You ignore that person. You're ignoring God. That is God to go do it. Um, And it is that thing of, it's really easy to step back and from a distance, start judging. But um, the more we start engaging with that concept, it's very, very, you got to be on a pretty high horse to start judging God. Right. Right. That's a real high pedestal you've built for yourself. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting, man. Just that, that you know, I, I think it wasn't Matthew 26 or 28 or, you know, I'm not uh, by any means a biblical scholar. I think, I think I try to filter everything through Jesus and it's, you know, when you do that, it gets, it's more simple. There's a lot of stuff I don't know. There's, there's a lot of stuff that when I was in my twenties, I would, I would argue anybody on certain things. And now I'm just like, I look at them and be like, Hey, I don't know. And I really don't want to waste my time on this. I love you you know? And so, yeah, but I mean, there's this sense of like at the end when, when he comes back and he separates the sheep from the goats, exactly what you're talking about. He's like, yeah. you know, what you did into the least of these, you did unto me. And so there's this avenue of like, yeah, we, we need to be very careful. Like who we put our nose up in the air and walk by, like, you know, um, even giving a cup of water is more holy, you know, sometimes yeah. than your, you know, than your, yeah, your uh, ritual Bible study, you know? And so, so it's just, before this, you were doing your, you were doing your, you were mentioning you were doing some like evangelism and, right. and doing different projects. Like, was this kind of where you were coming from in that season as well? Or was this kind of like a different, uh, talk me through some of your kind of, you raised fundamental yeah. um, in quite a fundamental kind of concept of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, you've obviously come quite a far right. journey from there. Uh, yeah. We're all on some sort of journey at all, yes. somewhere on the spectrum, I'm sure. Um, right. But it, it, it's quite a radical shift for you from where you were to where you are today. Yeah. Talk me through some of like where you were at and how you, what, what kind of springboarded you into those changes, yeah, into for that sure. shift in perspective. Yeah, let's just like kind of, kind of go back to, to the beginning. Um, you know, when I was, when I was younger, my, my mother would take us to, you know, church. I remember being in like Christmas plays and, you know, stuff like that and, mm. and going to, to Sunday school. There was a, are you, are you familiar with a program called Awanas? I don't think it's so, like no. it's it's like A W A N A S. It's it's Awanas. It's like a like a Bible kind of study for kids or whatever. I think, to my knowledge, I was the only kid that ever got kicked out of Awanas. I got kicked out of the, the program. <laughs> <laughs> the guy the guy That's couldn't amazing. handle me. It was yeah, it was, but it was kind of funny. It was like yeah, um, I got kicked out of you know this Bible program in my own church or whatever. But we went to this independent Baptist church and. And I, I think I need to preface it by saying that there was a lot of people and still a lot of people that are in that, that I, that I love. And I, mm, I, truly, absolutely. Think, I truly think get it. Um, but I, I remember being in like seventh grade and one of the the guys who I didn't particularly like care for, um, we, we got this new like 
youth pastor that kind of came in that the, the old guy, the old youth pastor, his name was Tim. I, I was really close to him. We would literally go like toilet paper people's houses together and just have fun. And like, he was just cool, man. He did a good job of getting on our level and, you know, just was a great guy. And this new guy kind of came in, he was all strict. And, um, you know, I remember him holding up a CD. It was like, I don't even remember the band. It might've been like mercy me or something like holding up a CD. And, and he said, can you believe that our Christian singers are dressing like homosexuals, like from the stage? Like what the, like what the hell, you know? Oh and I remember being a kid so and I remember, I remember going like, like, like almost uh-huh. like, I hate you, man. Like, what do you, <laughs> like, what is this? Like, what is this you're, you're teaching? And you know, is it, is it to get some, some old man on the front seat to like jump up and be like, Hey man, bro, like, what are you, like, what are you doing? And I remember like, I remember that moment. I'll never forget it. And it kind of shaped me that I'm going to love people and I'm going to actually hear their story because mm-hmm. what I would see was almost like a spiritual bullying going on from the pulpit, but nobody would ever come close to people that they didn't think like, or they thought mm-hmm. like, you know, that they judged. There was, there was no merging of the gap. It was just like, you're wrong. You're going to hell. You're doing this or whatever. But there was never like, a time where they came close to have a cup of coffee with somebody and be like, yeah. Hey, listen, okay. So cool. You're, you're gay. Like, can you tell me your story? Like what, yeah. you know, what are you thinking? Like, how do you view God? Like there was none of that. And so I kind of went from this very, like, like, so as, as soon as I was able, I, you know, 16, 17, I was just like, I'm getting the hell out of here. Like, you know, mm. so I went from a very independent Baptist church then I went to like a, um, a very like, like, as I went to college, I went to this like um, all African-American church where they like spoke in tongues and prophesied. And it was just like, almost like this apostolic type church. So I went from one extreme to the other. So it's mm. like, you know, my mind is just jacked, man. You know? And so then I got like really hurt in that church. And then I went to like a Southern Baptist church after that, um, you know, and kind of got like a little bit more of a middle ground. Like it wasn't as independent, but it wasn't like, you know, hyper um, the gifts, like speaking in tongues, kind of crazy. So I was like in the middle there. Um, and so then when I went to Charlotte, I just I just kind of um, I, for, I forget the, the, the kind of church I was at. But it was just more of like a just more of like a safe kind of, you know, neutral place from from the, uh, the previous two. And so, yeah, I, I definitely was well versed with you know, different doctrines and teachings mm. and kind of what I, what I saw and kind of began to form my own. So I, I think I began to just be balanced. Like I saw right. good things in, you know, the all African-American church that they did. I saw good things in the fundamental church. I saw very bad things in both of them. And so I began to kind of learn to just be, um, be very balanced, you know, mm. with, with my theology. Um, so, you know, I think it helped me kind of, um, avoid extremes so to say yeah no it's it's a really healthy gift to be able to look at things and go well very few things in this life are so black and white as we want them to be and so you probably have some good stuff for me and you probably have some really unhealthy stuff (laughs) and you probably have some good stuff and probably some healthy um and and hopefully as well that that also allows us to look in the mirror and go and i probably have some good stuff and i probably have some unhealthy stuff i've still got to figure out yeah Um, for sure but i feel like that's that's 
that's a big step for most people. I, I think a, a huge amount of our society doesn't see things like that. They do see it much more black and white and they do see right. my group has it right. That group has it wrong. Yeah. You know, that yeah. my denomination is the only one that's going to end up in heaven kind of thing. Right. <laughs> Not yeah. quite, but they'll be at the front, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so that sounds like you, it's, it's interesting. There's a study recently um, that was put out um, asking people from the age of 18 to 30 that left church and I asked them when did you decide to leave church and 70 percent of them said they decided before they were 14 mm. and and it's it's fascinating just what you were saying there of like you were almost like champing at a bit waiting to right. turn 16 17 whatever age you were allowed to go but as soon as yeah. you're like okay i'm not holding you here you were like okay where can i try something else yeah. um and and I think that's a really fascinating um, component. I think there's a lot of that that speaks to churches and groups and people like yourself that are working with youth. Uh, the yeah. responsibility to um, give kids that age something that empowers them, that gives them aut autonomy, that gives them the freedom to think for themselves, that that isn't so black and white and dualistic. Because I think the next generation just isn't as gullible they're not, they're not they're putting up with that it's yeah. stupid you know yeah, like you, for you, say, sure. you say something you're like this is what god's like and this is what the bible means and they quickly google right. on their phone and they're like oh, this guy's an idiot there's eight yeah. opinions on this thing you exactly know? yeah do, do you find that you've taken some of that journey into how you engage with the kids now because obviously you're engaging with the kids on a spiritual level on some level trying to yeah. help them understand that god loves them things like for that. sure yeah do, do you find yourself being quite um because it's obviously a level in which most people are going to find some dogmatic elements. Mm. We'll find our, our at least some foundations where like, well, no, right. that's, that's, that's absolute. That's what I believe. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. But have you found that that dynamic is at play with the kids that you're working with, that they aren't so open to these kind of dogmatic kind of black and whites. Um, yeah. For sure. Tend to want to give them. Yeah. I think and it. And I think that the audience that I'm working with is, is way different than like your average, like typical youth group in America where like you, you know, get around a campfire, make some s'mores, you know, cry, ask Jesus into your heart and then not really know what that means. You know, it's just, it's different. I think for me, you know, kind of what you were saying, if I had to put it into my words was that kids are looking for a voice. They want to have a voice and they want to be like, I think what, which something that you're gifted in is, is asking questions and giving people the space to work through messy stuff and ask any kind of questions, hard questions. Mm. And, you know, it was funny because how do you have a voice when one man's doing all the talking, you know, yeah. like how, how, like how, how, are, even, even for older people, like how do you have a voice in church these days? It's like, unless it's like in your, you know, in your small group. So yeah. <laughs> people want a voice. We, we, um, a couple of weeks ago, there's, there's a, there's an uh, old abandoned mall near us that it's called the Eastland Mall. It used to be like the staple of Charlotte, but now it's like desolated and they're like starting to revamp it. And there's a church that's, um, you know, moving in there. And so Jenny and I went to one of their meetings and mm. it was really cool because there's this, uh, there's this Asian dude named Peter. He's an awesome guy. He looks like, he, he actually looks like Francis. He actually impersonates Francis. Like he can go up to people at the coffee shop and they'll be like, you wrote crazy love. And he's like, I did. Do you want my autograph? <laughs> so he like impersonates this guy. But, but what, what was crazy is we, uh, this one guy kind of led worship and we're all in a circle facing each other and we're kind of singing together. And then, you know, Peter opens up the Bible and he's like, Hey, what is the church? And, and it was really interesting because um, every one of us in that circle had a voice 
Mm. There was an 11 year old girl that's like, hey, this is what the church is to me. And then a 45 year old man, this is what the church is to me. And then we were talking and and I was like, this is this is it, man. Like, this is what it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be, you know, kind of your your one man doing all the talking. It's 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 you know, what is the Bible saying in Ephesians It's like together all the saints come up with the depth and the width, you know, whatever of God's yeah. love. And so, so it's just, yeah. So I guess to, to answer your question, like um, how I deal with the kids is I don't feel like it's my job to shape God for them. I feel like wow. if, if it's true that I'm a light, you know, lights don't do a lot of talking, you know, just like I want to model like Jesus to them. Um, we do have, you know, we do have lessons and Bible studies that we talk with the kids and, Hey, this is the scripture. Let's read it. Let's talk about it. Um, but like people come up to me and say, well, how many people have accepted Jesus in your ministry in the last eight years? You know, it's funny. Mm -hmm. Not many, not many, like maybe at a camp, somebody gave like an invitation and one of them like public was like, yeah, Jesus come in my heart or whatever. Mm -hmm. But like, I just don't, that's not my, my view of, of kind of salvation, you know? Sure. So for us, it's just kind of, um, you know, it's, it's showing up, being consistent, modeling the love of Jesus. And, you know, I, I do, I do a, attend a worship gathering on Sunday. So a lot of times the kids will come with me. And so I just kind of do life with them. And we talk about, you know, if they have questions, we talk about it, I, you know? So yeah, I guess just kind of staying open for me with them to answer questions and to walk with them through hard sure. conversations. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely a different audience yeah. than like your, your typical youth group, you know? Yeah. Talk to me about the, the dynamic of salvation. Cause I'm really interested by this because coming from a fundamental background, I mean, that's all you're doing. I mean, uh, for many people, they'll look into a impoverished community and the fact that it's impoverished isn't the actual issue. They'll look into it and go, oh, how many people are not Christian? Oh, wow, there's a high percentage of non-Christians. We need to get in there and yeah. get them saved. Right. They're not even thinking we need to get them educated. We need to better their lives. We need to give them father figures. That's all maybe yeah. almost a tool to Second the hand. point. You right. know, it's either it's either a, a byproduct or it's the, the method through which we get you into the door and get you right. saved. Um, and it sounds to me um, that that's not how you're operating. Um, yeah. and, and I would argue that that's a very positive uh, perspective as well. So I, I, I personally, right. I'm happy to do that. I would have grinned and yeah. nodded uh -huh. as well if you were different, but, um, yeah. but how, how did that shift happen in you? Because, um, that's not an easy pill to swallow for a lot of Christians. A lot of Christians that is so indoctrinated in us that the purpose is getting people saved. I mean, when, when people believe in this kind of concept of eternal corn torment you're looking at people going well yeah it's yeah. bad for them now but it's really bad for them long term you know exactly. i need to get these people saved yeah how, how sure. did you shift out of that kind of mindset assuming that that's what you grew up with? yeah um, so i i think that one of my i guess things i one of my weaknesses is i can be a good manipulator like i'm okay. really, really good at it you know um and even as an evangelist, I'm, I'm sure there were seasons where I wanted to manipulate people into salvation. Like, oh, how many people can I get to come up to the front or to raise their hand? And based upon that, this determines if I'm a good, you know, evangelist or communicator or whatever. Um, and I think that I think that you just have to be careful having, you know, motives. Um, yeah. I, th I think also that you know, there's, there's a, a passage in the Bible where, where basically it says, Hey, don't, don't just, you know, if somebody's in need, don't just pray for them, meet, you know, meet their need. And so salvation, 
you know, on one hand, I know that the scriptures is like anybody who can, you know, confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart that Jesus is Lord will be saved. But I think that the aspect that I grew up with that I wanted to get away from was this, this avenue of fear. Like Mm. why, if God is love, if that's his very nature, if that's his greatest attribute, why do we leave with fear? And you know, what, what in us causes us to want to feel like we have to scare people. So Mm. If me getting them to heaven is scaring them with hell, then 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 they don't realize the beauty of of the kingdom yeah. and the beauty of love. And so, why would I lead with with the lesser part, yeah. you know, to get people into the kingdom? Versus, you know, if they truly grasp how much they're loved by a heavenly Father, mm. they truly grasp how much. God loves them and chases them even in the midst of their mess. To me, that's good news. Not, Mm. Oh, Oh shit. I'm going to go to hell. if I don't pray this prayer, you know? And it caused me when I was younger, man, if we're in heaven for praying the prayer, bro, I'm good. I did it a lot when I was younger, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I cover my bases a lot. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I did that as well. Um, you know, just, just going up and, and, uh, and it was funny, man, because, you know, I remember one time, um, so I did this thing where if I scored a touchdown every once in a while in high school, I would get down on my knee and, you know, act like I was thanking God. But man, like, honestly, I was a terrible person in high school. Terrible. Mm. Like, I, I treated people like crap. I wasn't good. I, I look back and I'm like, man, I wish I could just go back and love like people <laughs> like, I, like I know now, like really love yeah. people, you know? Um, and so I was terrible, but I remember like my pastor would pull me up on stage and be like, there's godly men out here playing sports that love Jesus. And I'm thinking like, man, I just, I just slept. Yeah, with you do. Night, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, but I, but I, I mean, but I prayed the prayer, you know? And so I, I think seeing the inconsistencies in my, in my own life and the breakdown of that doctrine of like, you know, just, and I, and I really meant it, man. Like when I went mm. up there, I really wanted, you know, God to kind of come in my heart, but I only wanted him for uh, heaven. I, I really didn't want him, you know, for his love or for his relationship with him. I just kind of wanted his benefit, you know? Mm. And so really like I was trying to use God by that theory of, you know, pray a prayer and you get salvation. And I was missing the purpose that, that he loved me and he wanted to walk with me and he wanted to showcase himself through me, you know? Mm. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, man, that, that uh, experienced that at an early age for sure. That's really, really cool. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's interesting how often we look back and we realize how much was getting whittled away when we were younger. We were questioned, yeah. but we just didn't have a framework or permission even to kind of explore some of those ideas or um, right. concepts. And so creating what you're doing there, creating room for people to have permission to think, yeah. to be themselves, to question, yeah. to um, explore things like God and, and, and spirituality, but yeah. not having an express here's a box you have to go get in if you want to look at this stuff you have to go in this box and stay in there um that just it it, no one no one really wants to sign up for the box and that's when you have to pull out hell right (laughs) it's like okay well if you don't get in the box here's what's gonna happen exactly Uh, which you don't see there's there's nowhere in in the new testament all the apostles all their outreaches all their missions everywhere they went whenever they preached not once did they ever mention hell or or punishment Um, it just wasn't it wasn't part of their message. Their message right. was, Hey, here's an amazing thing. And yeah. people were like, that sounds good. Yeah, um, sure. And so it's just so on its head now, isn't it? In a, in a sense, mm-hmm. we, I remember just dreading 
doing any kind of outreach or anything as a kid and as a young adult just thinking oh god i feel sick because basically what you want me to do is go out onto the street or go to someone's house and tell them hey you're a really shit person god really is disappointed in you but he does love you right so you know he loves you anyway even though you're terrible and so you could accept that but if right. you don't, you're going to burn forever. Yeah. This is a schizophrenic message. Yeah, that for sure. Yeah. And so, and people yeah. that were honest, you know, people that were like, you know, didn't fall to the fear. They're kind of like, man, F that God. Like, you Seriously. know. Seriously. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, it's really crazy to think about. And I agree people. with them, you know? Yeah. yeah. Screw that God. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't want anything to do with that at all. Right. Yeah. Um, no, that's beautiful. So, yeah. one of the dynamics that really interests me, um, something I've become more and more aware of. I just had um, one of the last podcasts, a couple of podcasts mm-hmm. ago, two, three podcasts ago, I had someone that was um, uh, going through a great deconstruction of their faith and questioning a lot. And in the process of that, um, they realized that they were systemically very racist. Now they were uh, a person of color from Colombia um, who married a white person, now living in America, you know, in the, in the American world, but they've, realize oh my gosh i'm i'm racist i don't know is it possible for me to be racist yeah, like yeah. You know, this whole thing I mean, talking to her and um, we had this great conversation it's something i've been very aware of of just how systemic my racism is mm. so it's not just that I, I know the things that are racist that you don't do and i'm right relatively good at not doing those right things. right um, for sure but but there's so many things in our systems in our culture that that are explicitly racist you know you can yeah. look at certain things and go this is stacked yeah. very much in favor of someone not right. a color <laughs> you know, if they could be white yeah. that's the way it's gonna go yeah um, it's, it's things like you know like oh they've got someone to call someone to pull some strings whatever you mm. know and all these things um so yeah. there's something i've become very aware of um talk to me about that dynamic because i i know you're saying you know you had these um black friends in college and things like that and and you know you were like oh, i understand this community and things like that. Yeah. is this something that you've been aware of because for me um in a sense, knowing what I know now about the fact that I've got so much implicit racist, you know, racism, all the, all the racisms that are in me that I don't know yet about yet, because mm. you, you can't beat someone up for that stuff. That's just yeah. part of what they've been built right. into. And it's mm. only when you realize it, it becomes an explicit racism that you're like, oh, I'll, I'll stop doing that or I'll work on it. Absolutely. Um, but it's scary how much is in me that I'm like, oh yes. gosh, I still discover yeah, I'm intrigued um, for me knowing that and going, gosh, I probably still have a long journey to go on. Right. Um, I would be terrified going into this concept, this, this, you sharing the concept of what you do. I'd be like, yeah, my gosh, I am like not at all braced for this. I don't want to go in and be the, the white guy that's like, you know, super yeah. unaware of how I'm <clears throat> offending people or like, am I just being a white savior? You know, I don't know if you've kind of yeah. heard that term a yeah, lot. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And, and I've, I mean, I follow accounts yeah. on that and I'm constantly learning. I'm right. wondering if that's something that you've had to navigate or, or try and tra- traverse because yeah. from, from an external perspective, I can look in and go, oh yeah, the white guy going in to save the black kids. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And I'm like, absolutely, such a trope. and 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 can it can actually be part of the problem sometimes i think yeah absolutely how do you navigate that how have you processed well this this will be interesting uh i think first off um my son is african-american so my wife and i adopted um my son he's 15 months old now but we got him when he was two months crazy story supposed to get him when he was born mom changed her mind called us back two Uh months later and so I think, I think for people listening, like realize that my son is, my son is black. Um, 
And so I'm going to be very honest and candid. I think this is a good point of discussion. We all have racism in us. Mm. I think if, if the first, the first key is to recognize it, um, you know, and we, you know, here in America, I don't know about there, but we tend to just make it black and white, but there's so yeah. many other races that, you know, there's, I mean, you've heard, man, you've heard the Hispanic jokes or the Russian jokes or whatever, you know, growing up, um, we had, we had this kind of this street that we, that people would just kind of cruise around. It was called Patton Avenue. And, um, you know, the, the Russian guys had a, had a, uh, a bad rap for like beating people up. And so it's just like, I grew up thinking, Oh, like Russians, they beat people up or whatever, you yeah. know? So like, we all have racism, but here's, here's the thing. I think in the beginning, whenever you step in to do something, even, even if it's by faith, even if you're doing something good, you're going to start off a lot of times as probably part of the problem. You're going to start off doing it wrong. You're going to start off with the white savior complex. You're mm. going to start off spending more time enabling people. You know, for example, like when I first started working in the neighborhoods, if kids came up and said, you know, Mr. Josh, let me get a dollar. If I had a dollar, I would give it to him. And now eight years later, I'm going, hey, little kid, you're asking me the wrong question. You need to ask me, how do I make a dollar? Because if I teach you how to make a dollar, you can leave me the hell alone and stop asking me for money. So like, mm. you know, and so you, you, you begin to evolve. But here's, here's the thing. I have battled more with racism since I've been working with the African-American community than I did before. Mm. And you're like, well, why? Okay, I deal with very hurt people who have never, some of them have never been cared for, mm. okay? Because they've never been cared for, that means that a lot of times they don't care for me, you know? That means that I've been in situations, man, where, where I've been disrespected, cussed out, um, you know? I've been in situations where hurt people have hurt me, you know? Um, and so I have to be careful because if you're not cared for growing up, it leaks into every area of your life, how you drive, you know, how you talk to people. And so like if I'm in traffic and, you know, you know, an African-American person just cuts me off and doesn't act like I exist, there's this notion of me to be like, man, you whatever, like I get offended or I get angry in that moment. And I'm like, you know, man, that's typical, you know. And so like, I see a counselor to battle with that and to like work through that. And one of the things that he told me one day is, is I'm like, man, like, I love what I'm doing. Like, I love, I do, man. I genuinely love these beautiful people. I love them. Um, but I get offended when they hurt me. Mm. One of the things he told me is like, Josh, it's not about you. That kid that cusses you out, like you should be mad at their dad, not you you know, not the kid, you know, you should, you should, it's, they, the kid didn't do anything, man. Like they, he's like, Josh, do you believe the kids love you? I'm like, yeah, I believe that they love me. And so like, well, it's not, it's not about, you know, you, like you getting mad and getting offended, like you're just being selfish, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it, it's weird to tell people that I battle more now with racism, working with African-American communities, because like I'm more susceptible to the hurt that they have. It, it, it tends to come back on me, you yeah. know? And if I'm not careful, I begin to label, you know, I begin to label them um, if I get hurt by them. Oh, yeah. well, you know. And so, so for me, I have to battle, um, you know, racism. And, and I say this because I know that some of my African-American friends are going to watch this. Mm -hmm. And I'm just being totally honest that, you know, because I'm more susceptible to being hurt by them because I'm close to them, yeah. I have to battle 
you know, and, and, and continue to stay in a place of empathy. And so I would argue that the closer you get to somebody of another race, you're going to begin to battle with racism more. See, when, when, you're, when you're far back, you know, I mean, you do have the two extremes, right? Like, let's say that you have the, what we would label as the red, the country redneck that, you know, uses the N-word or whatever. I mean, you know, and then, and then you have, you know, somebody like me who's white working in the African-American communities. And maybe I have to, to fight against racism because I, I, get, I get hurt a lot. You know, and so you have these extremities. And I think one um, kind of happens out of an ignorance of like, well, you just never you know, took the time to get to know somebody. And then the other happens out of like, man, this stuff really hurts me, you know. Yeah. And so there's obviously different levels. But, yeah, I mean, it's something that we have to fight against. And, you know, I try not to like if somebody ever is like, oh, you're racist. Like, oh, I could easily go, well, my son's African-American. Well, that, that <laughs> yeah. doesn't mean anything. You know, no. I think if anything you know, having an African-American son, Jenny and I are diving more into the culture even more. We, uh, you know, we have friends and we, we have, you know, support groups and talk groups and we, we talk mm. through. So like, I have to listen to their, to, to African-Americans perspective even more now because I'm raising one, you know? Yeah. So yeah, that's real talk mm. right there, man. Yeah, absolutely. That's <laughs> really huge. And thank you for being so vulnerable. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's true. I mean, the people that we spend the most time around, generally speaking, piss us off more than right. anyone yeah. else, right? I mean, sure. Just like, yeah. you know, I'm going to get more annoyed by my wife yeah. than I am going to be by my next closest friend because I live Absolutely. with my wife. She's yeah. here all the time. She maybe right. leaves a dish on the table more often and every mm -hmm. time I see her, I go, ah, you know, or whatever. Um, and she gets um, mad at you and you leave a dish oh on the God. table. I mean, we're, we're locked in houses together, right? Yeah. In the pandemic, right. I mean, even more so. Yeah. You know, I'm not seeing Absolutely. anyone else, you know? Yeah, so there's sure. only one possible person for me to get pissed off at right now. Yeah, it's um, and, and so, you know, I think that's a, it's a natural dynamic. Um, and I, I guess when you live in a bubble, like you've chose to kind of bring yourself into a bubble. Right. Um, you know, and so it's even more so you're not exposed to, um, the, 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 the breadth and spectrum of the, the, the black community, you're mm -hmm. within a very, uh, specific bubble within it as well. Right. And so you're, right. you're even more reinforcing certain stereotypes and things like that because right. you're just seeing a stereotype in a sense because you've gone so close in. So yeah. I, I can see that, how that would, would handle that. So you say yeah. you're, you're working with a therapist, uh, you know, which is, yeah. I, I'm always big, I'm pro-therapy. <laughs> if, if I could just right. set up to a therapy just in general yeah. at all times, like I go every day to just like yeah. process and Absolutely. work things out. And so I think I'm glad that the stigma of seeing therapists is, is kind of like, it's starting to be gone. You know, people yeah. really see it as, a, as an as a active move forward in life right. rather than a, an admission of defeat or something like that. Yeah, so that's something sure. you're working with, with, uh, with that person. Um, how, how are you practically going about that? Like, how are you actively kind of working that out in your life? You know, this, this element of um, seeing the other person in different lights and not judging them for their actions and realizing, ah, it's, you know, that, that's a product of their environment. If I was yeah. born in that house with that family, with that culture, growing <clears throat> up around that group of peers i'd be the same person in the same way if i was born in baghdad and i was bombed yeah. in the 90s right. I'd probably also hate america and yeah. hate christianity and whatever you know Absolutely. like you yeah. start to realize we're all very similar we just have different forming stories yeah um, for sure so that's part of it i'm sure but is there other things that you um have found that have actively kind of like helped whittle away or or, or helped you journey with that yeah i think i think um just just going close like if you if you do 
like judge somebody or if you do struggle with racism, like go close to them, you know, like don't, don't let it push you away. Just go in, like sit with somebody, like hear their story. Um, and I think too, cause you know, our minds are always working. And so if you, if you catch, like, I think, I think if you, you know, I, I saw something on your website, like of, of, of constantly like trying to see other people in the image of God. Um, and I teach my kids like, to try not to react versus to respond. And so I have to do the same thing. Like it might be taking a walk and be like, okay, that thought that I just had was really bad. So God, like, you know, help me, help me work through this. So processing, you know, thoughts and, and really just coming close to the people as, as well. Um, Mm. You know, I, we, we, um, there's a guy in, 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 um, Calif- uh, Los Angeles, uh, Father Greg Boyle. I don't know if you've heard of him, but um, I-, I love him, man. I love his- kind of his theory on things. And one of the things he talks about is oneness. You know, don't, if you're a nonprofit, don't look at yourself as the, you know, the service provider and they're the service recipient. Like that's, that's arrogant, man. Like you just become one with people. Like, like treat them as if, see them as family, which we really are, mm-hmm. right? You know, see each other as family. You know, family are going to have scuffs. There's going to be things like you said, you know, my wife, we got in a fight yesterday. We're good. But, you know, that stuff happens. But I think I think just kind of coming close is is Mm. the best thing that that we have done and that we could ever do is just looking at people as as family and not like a project or you have to fix them, you know. So, um, yeah, that that helps. Um, I think when you when you get close to people and you begin to hear their story and develop empathy, like, you you know, you just begin to love, like genuinely love people. So I think that helps. But yeah. And I'm sure like. Like the person that cut me off in traffic, like if I sat down with them, I I would, you know, I would would love them. You know, it's just it's just we're just so selfish. I mean, racism comes from selfishness. You know, we're just Mm. selfish. We're we're shallow. so I think, yeah. I think like with anything in life, if you lean into that versus like just taking your, you know, your, your negative thought and running with it, if you begin to lean and move toward the thing that you judge, good, goodness can come out of it, you know? Mm. That's beautiful. So, yeah. And it's, I think it just speaks more about us generally than other people as well. Like, you know, you get right. caught off in traffic and generally speaking, you're speaking out of fear because you just chat yourself, you know, you just thought, yeah. oh my God, I'm going to die. Someone's going to take yeah. me in the car or, you right. know, like you freak out um, yeah. and, and so it's it's this rise of fear that like yeah. allows us to go into all sorts of right. negative things but the thing is if you'd uh if they'd like cut off the car three cars in front and there was no risk of accident you might have still gone oh what an idiot but like yeah you wouldn't have been aggressive you wouldn't have got angry right. you know so it, it's exactly. so much more about like how what we're what we're dealing with in, in our own yeah. internal kind of world and, and dealing yeah. with um, and how we respond to that, like you're saying, yeah. you're reacting, but like, yeah. like just go, okay, let me process. Okay, yeah. it's fine. We're all here. We're all safe. You know, they've yeah. got their journey. Maybe they're running late. You know, maybe there was a bunny they were swerving to avoid. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, yeah, <laughs> um, for sure. Yeah, uh, it's fast. For me, yeah, and for me, it's like I know this. This sucks admitting, but for me, it's like a feeling of I don't matter. Like, oh, you cut me off. Like, oh, I'm, mm. you don't see me. Like, I. It's like this. It's, I feel like maybe some of it stems from just like abandonment wounds, you know, like growing up, like, you know, literally like, you know, watch my, my dad drive up in a car packed full of stuff to say, oh, I'm moving and just drive off, you know? So like, there's kind of this thing of not feeling like you matter, like somebody leaving. It's kind of, so it's like, 
you know, when you don't feel like you matter and then somebody else kind of reminds you of that, then it's kind of like this, oh, I don't matter. You know, I'm in, I'm in traffic too, just like, you know, so it's so funny how it just comes from different places, you know, uh, within yeah. you. So yeah, just constantly, you know, but I think, I know it sounds weird, man, but like, it sounds, it sounds churchy, but just there's, there's every once in a while I'll be like, you know what, like, I'm, I'm going to like, I'm just going to pray for that person right now. Like God mm. bless them today. Like, you know what you, you, they cut me off, but bless them. Do something, yeah. show yourself, shift in you know, perspective. shifting that perspective. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, like, oh, I'm trying to be super spiritual. It's like, no, nah, like this is an opportunity to do something good and pray for somebody. And like, just God asks that you bless them, you know? Mm. what is it what does it say it's like bless those who hurt you bless those who are your enemies bless those who curse you it's like just taking it to like another level you know yeah so absolutely that's so yeah. good I, I do that one percent of the time by the way yeah no absolutely. i, I, I am a hypocrite <laughs> we all <are. laughs> yeah that's funny so let's let's just um touch back because i i want to go right back to the beginning where we're talking about this kind of um this concept of um fatherlessness and how uh, how much of a a key factor it is in mm. in almost everywhere. I, I don't think this is even explicitly a race issue. I think uh, yeah. across the board, um, there's a great dearth of fathers in the the family nucleus in mm. America, in the West, um, and and yeah. I don't know beyond that uh, what other cultures yeah. look like. But I know in the West, right. it's it's a, it's a massive issue, and and there yeah. is clear cut ties to um, worse education, higher, uh, you know, arrests and, and, and yeah. prison terms. Uh, gosh, so much stuff, uh, yeah. off the top of my head, I'm immediately drawing blanks, but I mean, yeah. I, I've seen lists of dozens and dozens of things with like, you know, and, and the percentages are huge, you know, mm-hmm. huge amounts of like, you know, yeah. Oh, people in prison, you know, 70% of them didn't have a father or, you know, things right. like that. And I'm like, Holy yeah. crap. Like, yeah. so, and, and I, I, I'm, I'm also loath to just post, statistics out and make right. a thing of it because yeah. some of these are kind of chicken and egg scenarios as well i think right. uh, to some degree yeah. um but what do you think is going to break this cycle what do you think because i know that the 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 glib kind of christian response is just like oh well we just need to return to traditional family values family. everyone yeah. to you know and, uh, right. and, and that's maybe there's a lot of truth in that uh, to some degree i don't mean traditional in the sense of just male and female yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, uh, yeah. you know for me yeah. that's more ex- expansive but right. i do think there's maybe some truth to having a, a you know healthy whole families will change right. a lot of things but that's also possibly very naive in, in mm. a practical reality. Right. I think the world we live in right now, not families aren't always going to stay together. Yeah. And honestly, that's sometimes a really, really, really good thing. Because right. the thing is, some of the fathers that stay uh, beat the shit out of their wives. And right, they exactly. And traumatize their, their kids. Right. And so, you know, kind of glad you're not in the picture yeah, right now. exactly. You, know, you go yeah. stand over there and get some help right. and heal up. We'll Absolutely. do our thing. Yeah. Um, so, so I think at times it's not always possible for that. So what do you think are some of the, the kind of key things? Obviously you guys are being, this is your focus. You're intentionally trying right. to work on this. What are you, what are you, what do you see going? Okay. This is practically, you mentioned like kind of financial training and, and you know, things like that, but what are some of the, the key things you're going, okay, this is what we can bring to these families that will shift, shift right. the needle, try and reduce recidivism. We'll, we'll, we'll increase education. We'll, you know, reduce abuse and, and, and things like that. Um, yeah yeah i think i think um obviously the earlier that you begin to kind of walk with kids the better because you know for like when me and my wife go into the neighborhood 
um, we're probably one of the only married couples that spend the most time with them. You know, obviously there's other volunteers now and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So I think letting, you know, I always say you, it's hard to be a man when you don't see a man, you know, yeah. it's, it's kind of like, it's hard to, to catch a vision of a family unless you, unless you see like a family. So I think, you know, for them just to see like real families, like for them to see us, you know, love our son together, but then for them to see us get in a fight and then forgive each other for them to just really be like, see like a family, um, I think is important. Um, yeah. And, and then, you know, if you, if you don't have like a father, I think it's important to talk about like a father's role. So I want my son to see me loving his mother that means loving her in her mess her loving me in my mess you know it's not like this perfect like we're the Brady Bunch you know I think sure I think also you know I want to be able to teach my son how to treat women I want to be able to to him to be a better version of me you know Mm -hmm. I think if you don't if you don't see a family and you're a young man and I always tell the kids listen like I think there's this stigma that we only learn from people who do things the right way but I think equally as powerful as we learn from people who do things the wrong way. So, so what I tell the kids is like, listen, you know, that pain that you feel when you think about your dad or the anger that you feel when you think about your dad, like, I want you to remember that. Don't, don't Mm -hmm. ever forget it because one day you get the opportunity to do the opposite of what he did. So I'm asking you to learn from your father's failure. I'm asking you to remember the feeling of not knowing where he was or being angry that he wasn't there and one day you're going to get the opportunity, you know, if you get a girl pregnant, you get to be different now. You get to stick around and be present. You know, you get to try to work through this with your kid. You get to make the choice to never leave. And so I think that a lot of times with this demographic, it's not that they get to really see, they, they don't get to see families a lot of times. They really don't. Um, but it's, it's actually learning from the pain that you've went through and deciding that you're not going to put somebody else through that, that you're going to mm. be different. And that's why I'm trying at, from a young age to pump into their minds. Like, listen, you get to be the one to break the cycle, like to challenge them. Like, you know, and, and there, I remember there was one time where I had like 60 kids on these bleachers and we were having a really tough conversation. And, and I said, I said, we were talking about, you know, treating women with value. And I was like, you guys aren't taught to treat women with value. And so like you treat them as they're just objects for your pleasure. And I said, but if you really think about it, I was like, do you guys love your mom? They're like, yeah. And I'm like, well, somebody did that to your mom. And they're like, no, Joe, we don't want to think of it. And I'm like, no, you need to think about it. Somebody, somebody treated your mom like an object, got her pregnant and bounced. And now you're here. So you're telling me that you're going to turn around and do the same thing to somebody mm-hmm. else. Like these, these are the hard conversations that we got to start having with these young guys because, you know, and then, it, and then, it, then, you know, all of a sudden, if you bring it home, it's like, well, do you love your sister? Okay, well, cool. You treat somebody else like you would want them to treat your sister, you know, mm-hmm. and start making it real, you know, to them. So um, I, I think it's just, yeah, it's all about, you know, kind of perspective and and just really, you know, not, I mean, part of, part of my vision for these kids is that they would get married one day, you know, but but I'll take baby steps, right? Like I have, I have some guys mm-hmm. who are 22, 23 that have came through my program and, and, and guess what, man, they, they are in a steady relationship and they got their own apartment. Now, mm-hmm. traditional Christian, you know, would be like, oh my God, they're living in sin. No, bro, <laughs> that, they're, they're breaking cycles. Awesome. 
you know, really awesome. they, they got their own apartment. They're, they're living with a girl. And now we're, now we're beginning to have the conversations about marriage, you know? Yeah. Um, now we're beginning to have conversations about, Hey, listen, I get to walk with you and get to see you be a father. Like, this is cool. I got one mm-hmm. kid that just, just had a baby. His, his daughter's like a month old. She's beautiful. And he just moved into a house. We got him a rental house. First time ever not living in, you know, government housing or apartments. Wow. And um, he's with the, the baby's mother and the baby's doing good. And, 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 you know, I'm helping him with some business stuff, but I'm like, you know what I'm more excited about? His name's Darrell. I was like, I'm excited about walking with you as you be a father. That's, that's yeah. what's exciting, you know? So, that's awesome. um, yeah, man. And it's, it, it's funny because in the, in the nonprofit world, like people are big on like, well, what are your measurables? Like, tell me about your programs. Like, man, you some of the stuff that we do, we're heavy in relationships. You, you can't measure that. Like you oh, can't measure seeing can't a kid. can't quantify that. Yeah, you can't quantify it. You know, that's the most important stuff to me. So, mm. yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah. Josh, man, it sounds like you're doing some amazing stuff. I'm really, really just, yeah. I'm in awe of people like you that are willing to just lay down their lives in so many different ways and just love the person in front of them. And that, that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. How can people um, stay in touch with you, track with what you're doing, support what you're doing? Um, give, give me some uh, places people can go to. We'll put it in the show notes for sure. But just Absolutely. So we, um, we're in the middle of a, um, we're in the middle of like a, like a new branding. So okay. in the past, like you our mentioned this, yeah. Yeah, it's been called The Abandoned Project. So right now, um, you can still go to theabandonproject.org. So it's, it's uh, abandoned, has no ED on it. It's not the abandoned. It's just theabandonproject.org. Um, that will uh, that'll also eventually forward you to the new, new website. But our new, our new name is Neighborhood Hope. It's, it's more dignifying because, okay. you know, the name in the past had abandoned a project, which is, you know, kind of like systemics of racism and stuff. So we we could do better. So we had a new name. Constantly learning, right? Constantly yeah, learning. <laughs> absolutely. Well um, so awesome. um, the Instagram is, is Neighborhood Hope um, underscore CLT for okay. Charlotte. So Neighborhood Hope underscore CLT. And, um, yeah, yeah. People can get in touch with us and, uh, you know, inquire about ways that they want to get involved or, you know, give, or if they're in the area and they want to come volunteer. So, um, actually, yeah, I, the, I've you know, got a lot of people that follow me that are in Charlotte. So that's sure awesome. People that's, would love to connect with you guys. And that's see cool. What you're up to. Yeah. One of the guys that, uh, mentioned that I should be, you know, on your show, he, he grew up with me in the, in that fundamentalist church. Matter of fact, his dad Hello. was a pastor in the church. And now he's became one of my, one of my good friends. And so his name's John Young. So that was cool. Nice. That's got the That's connection awesome. there, but yeah, man, really cool. for sure. Awesome. So. Dude. Well, thank you for coming on. It's, it's a real privilege and hopefully we we'll get to man. stay in touch and uh, yeah, look I'll forward to that, seeing man. how things go. Yeah. Appreciate yeah. everything you do, man. And we'll, we'll definitely stay in touch, man. I love, awesome. I love what you're doing, man. This is great. Cool. All right. Well, all the best, man. Love you, man. Take care. Love you too. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. That was Josh Meadows. What a great guy. Um, you can check him out. Like, uh, like he said, you can head to theabandonproject.org until they have that new website for uh, Neighborhood Hope. Or you can check it out on Instagram, neighborhoodhope underscore CLT. Uh, and feel free to reach out to him. I'm sure he'd love to know that you enjoyed this podcast or uh, would be happy to field any questions you have. And certainly if you're in that area, um, I'm sure he would be delighted to have some amazing people uh, get involved and, and volunteer and help uh, if that's something that's on your heart. 
Um, if you want to uh, check out more interviews, you can do that on YouTube. You can subscribe to this podcast, obviously. You can um, uh, check out thegracecourse.com, which has dozens and dozens of videos on all kinds of different topics, teaching on all sorts of different things, human uh, psychological development, hell, homosexuality, uh, faith, you know, Bible passages, all kinds of different uh, things from a whole range of uh, different uh, disciplinary approaches and, and, and concepts and topics. Um, you can also check out if you are going on your own deconstruction journey, you can go on over to thedeconstructionnetwork.com um, and try and find people in your own area that are also deconstructing. Try and uh, develop a bit of community if that's something that you miss as you've started this process of deconstructing. And we're also doing research into people that are deconstructing. We just put out some um, interesting data uh, on Instagram the other day um, talking about uh, church attendance and, and how deconstruction seems to affect that and so i'm really excited to continue to develop more and more uh research in this these areas so that we can um kind of change the narrative of who deconstructing christians are because a lot of that narrative is coming from uh churches from leaders that are not so positive uh towards people that deconstruct um that, that tend to uh paint things with a very negative image but often a very ignorant image and an image that isn't actually very uh accurate or reflects the truth and this is what we're trying to do is we're trying to create data so that we can reflect clearly who are deconstructing christians and the very broad and complex answers to those questions um, and so please do check out the deconstructionnetwork.com if you'd like to get involved with our studies. They're usually just a five to 10 minute survey that happens once every couple of months. And so it's not a big commitment, but it could have a massive impact um, on uh, on all kinds of areas of spirituality and religion. And so I really would love for you to get in touch uh, and get involved in that. Um, so yeah. And if you want to get in touch, as always, shoot me a message on Instagram. That's where you're best to connect with me and chat with me. Um, I'm just Phil Drysdale. And I'll see you in the next episode.